0: We're in the book of 1 John, and we want to invite you to grab a Bible and join us there. Hopefully you brought one, and you can make your way there to 1 John chapter 3 as we continue a verse-by-verse study in the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you, in the chairs in front of you, where you can grab one of those, page number on the screen, that you can join us in that. You can use an electronic device and follow along in a Bible app there if you want to do that as well. One way or another, please be with us in the Word of God. That invitation here, that invitation in our overflow, that invitation online, that you would join us and that the Word of God would be before you so that through His Word, He would speak to us the things that He has for us, and we need Him to do that. We need Him to do that even with accuracy. You know, I think about it. It's been said that, you know, one of the challenges to to a pastor, to a preacher, is the need to be the one who would comfort the afflicted and at the same moment afflict the comfortable. I don't know if that even just kind of lands with you for a moment. I'm just going to tell you it's a true reality, and yet it's a tough one, that in one sense, recognizing that people in different spaces and God's truth to apply it right and well is so needed and always needed. But in the section that we're about to cover this morning, it's especially so. That in one sense, it's very possible that you would hear it wrongly. And by God's grace, I'm just pleading that it wouldn't happen. Because if it goes poorly, I will be the one that afflicts the ones who shouldn't be afflicted and comforts the ones who shouldn't be comforted. And just that's not where I want to go. And so just praying that God would take his truth and accurately just put it into our lives where we need to hear it. So let's ask him for that. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but I would hope you would ask as well that God would give us ears to hear so that we'd hear accurately what the Spirit would say to us each this morning, and He would do that well. Let's join and ask Him for that right now. God, thank you that you know us. You know where we are. You know what's taking place. You know the state of our soul. And Lord, I I believe that you're that one who can speak just rightly to us, and yet, Lord, just bringing it before you now and just admitting in my own weakness, I would so easily get that confused and Afflict those who shouldn't be afflicted and comfort those who should not be comforted. God, in my weakness, I just just lean upon you and say, Lord, open up your truth to us this morning in a way that we understand and we hear. And God, you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. Holy Spirit, that you would help us just to hear what you're saying to us. And it would be heard well. It would be heard accurately. It would be heard in a way that just compels us Into the life that you have in store for us. God, meet us, each one of us now. Just give us ears to hear what you would have us to hear. We pray for that to now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't even think about parking here. Yeah, I'd like you to imagine that as a sign. You pull up into some space and you see that that kind of road sign there and just tells us, hey, this is not a space for you. Don't even think about parking here in some ways, that's where I want to draw you this morning. And yet the here is sin. The here is that place that you would stay there. And so it begins our section just really giving us a very definitive measure of what that is. Notice it with me there in verse 4. It says, whoever commits sin commits, also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. This is one of those definitive just verses that just tells us right now how bad sin is. It says, if you commit sin, that is breaking God's law. That's breaking what He has established as right. That puts you at guilt before a holy God. All sin is lawlessness. All of it is that. I think about how it tells to us in the book of Romans that, there for by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be saved be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God's law comes and shows us that we cross the line, that we do that which we ought not to do. It reveals sin to us, and sin is destroying our lives tells us the wages of sin is death, that it's doing that, that sin is incredibly destructive. And so just gives that to us as a definition, telling us, hey, we need to make sure we understand how bad that is, how destructive, how wrong sin is. And in this, he wants to draw us to understand our relationship with this, if you can think about it that way, where we need to go. Well, before we dive into that this morning, though, let's quickly back up, because I really wish that I could re-say everything I said last week, or somehow bring you to where we landed last week. If you were with us, we began the chapter, and in the midst of it, we saw God telling us that we've been made, if you're a Christian here this morning, we're now the children of God by his incredible love, that we've been made this, not in a way the world will ever understand it, but we've been made this, and heaven is going to show what that's like. I mean, when we see Jesus, who we really are, is going to come full into focus, and the the reality of which he's done, and he called us to, to know that, and yet as he ended that section, he says, if you really believe this, if you really believe that you're a child of God, if you really believe that that this is at work and and there's a new nature inside of you and you've been made new and all that's going to be that way. He said, if you really believe that, then you're going to be purifying yourself. You're going to be purifying yourself even as he's pure. You're going to be dealing with that sin in a way that is good because you recognize who you really are. Think about it this way. Maybe a silly little illustration that I'll try to use this morning will be helpful. Maybe not, but we'll try. I want you to understand it this way. In one sense, imagining just this red circle as a picture of the reality of who you were before Christ, what the Bible would call your old man. When you gave your life to Christ, if you're a Christian, when Jesus saved you, what happened is you became born again. You became one where all things became new, where a new nature took place and became a reality at that very moment inside of you. But therein lies a little bit of the problem because they exist right now here together, that you have this old man and this new man, what's sometimes called the flesh in the old man, the new man sometimes referred to as the spirit, and this reality that is now living inside of the believer that is so many ways our great challenge. I think about it in Galatians. We saw it last week where yeah, Paul would tell it to us this way. He says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. These are at war, if you will, with one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. It says, here's what's happening inside of you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you now have this new nature that is just trying to you know, draw you to the life of Christ, but you have this old nature that's at war. It says, these are at war inside your life. Man, it's a great reality to try to understand. Paul unpacks it in Romans 7 in ways that we don't have time to dive into, but as he just says, hey, you know, why, why is this happening? What's, what's taking place inside of me and coming to this place a wretched man that I am? I mean, just really hard to really fully understand, and yet it's a reality that's there. In fact, it's uniquely so inside the child of God. That the world could never really fully comprehend this because it's a true battle between that which is genuinely holy and good inside of us. A new nature that cannot and would not ever sin and an old nature that is, has a horrible propensity to move that way, and they're at war inside of you. So God would call us all the way through Scripture to be at fighting in that. I think about in Ephesians 4, where he says that we put off that old man, which grows corrupt, that we're like, I don't want to do that anymore. That's not going to be me. That's not the me that I am anymore. But instead, I'm going to put on that new man that was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, like that's what I'm wanting to walk in because that's who he's really made me to be, and that reality is a part of our lives, that that's this place where we're struggling, and yet he's calling us to know victory in that. So here in this section, that's where he's drawing us, and that's what we need to see. So I'll tell you what, let's read the section we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll try to understand where we need to go with that. Go back and again read with me. I'll start in verse three that kind of picks up from last week. It says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin." For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Okay, well, that's what we need to talk about. That's where we need to go this morning, calling us to understand that where we need to go with this and kind of what I'm saying this morning, don't even think about parking here. Don't even think about staying here. Now, we try to understand this, and maybe you read it with me this morning, and already you're beginning to ask some of those questions. Like, how do we understand this? Well, let me put it to you this way. We want to approach this this morning and understand that maybe there's four different types of people that we need to talk about this morning. Four different kinds of people who would hear this message and need to respond to it differently. Probably at least three of these kinds are here this morning. Maybe all four, but probably three of them. And in one sense, to understand where we need to go with this, and I just want to, again, highlight how difficult this is. Because right now, I need to be the one who would comfort the afflicted, that the one who needs to hear this in a helpful and life-giving way, it would come. But there are some that need to hear this in a way that you are comfortable and you need to be afflicted. Like, this needs to wake you up, and by God's grace, we're longing that it would take place that way. Again, I'm incapable of doing that, but God is, and so we just long that he would help it land. So four types of people that might hear this and hear it differently. The first we need to understand is what I'm going to call the perfect Christian. The perfect Christian, well, yeah, as we gaze on this, the one who is this, who fully just walks in what some have called sinless perfection, please understand that doesn't exist on this side of, of, of heaven. There is no such thing as that in this world. Now, maybe nobody in this room believes that. And maybe the sad reality of the moment, this moment in church history is there's less people who even think they believe this. Nevertheless, throughout history, there have been some that would look on this and, and say, okay, this is telling us that for a Christian, you get to the place where you never sin and you enter into some state of sinless perfection. Please understand, that's not actually the focus of these verses. It's not actually specifically addressed here. That being said, sometimes it's where Christians land. Again, I know that for some of you, you're going to read it that way and maybe not think that you're that way, but you would certainly come across and hear it wrong. Well, please understand that's not the context. That's not what we've been talking about. In fact, go with me back to chapter 1 just for a moment. Turn a page in your Bible, whatever it takes to get there. There in chapter 1, in verse 8, he had told us, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. It just couldn't be said more clear than that. It's a present tense statement. If we say, well, I have no sin. Like, this, this, this me. I'm sinlessly perfect. I, I don't ever do that. It says, you lie to yourself. Uh, That's what's happening. It's the only way that you could believe that is either you've lowered God's standard or you're not even honest with what's taking place inside your heart. It cannot be. And yet some would say, hey, that's where I am. I'm in this space that they would look at this battle and say, okay, there is this place where the new man can totally conquer the old on this side of eternity. And I'm just trying to say, that's not what it's talking about. That's not what it's speaking, that's not what's here, that's not a part of it. And so here's, again, I just want you to understand, if that were true, then so much of the New Testament becomes pointless. If there is a place that a Christian doesn't, can get to the place where we don't struggle with sin, then the majority of what God deals with in the New Testament, calling us to holiness and dealing with our sin, uh, the majority of that is becoming that which wouldn't be necessary. And maybe can I try to say it even just accurately here? if that's what a real Christian is, if you could take these verses and say, okay, a Christian never sins, then I'll just tell you this. There's not a real Christian in this room. There's not anybody here It's like, well, that's me. That's just totally me. I don't ever do anything wrong. That's not true for me. It's not true for you. It's not what he's talking about. But I need to say this. If you think you are there, if by any chance, and again, it's more unlikely than the others, that maybe you sit here and think, no, that's me. I'm just telling you, you're lying to yourself, because that's what John just told us. If you think it's true of others, and some come to these verses that way, that they find themselves thinking, well, that's probably what a Christian is, and maybe I'm not a Christian, because I'm not there. I, I can't do that. That's not what this is talking about. Please understand this. As we hear this, he's not telling us that You know, Christians get to the place where sin is no longer a battle or a struggle on this side of eternity. It's not what he's talking about. It's certainly not here. And we need to at least begin there. Again, maybe that's you this morning that needs to hear that. But again, maybe more unlikely than the others. So, leaving that, so we're not talking about perfect Christians. There are none. Then what are we talking about? Well, the second one that is probably present here in this room or maybe online is a phony Christian one who would say in that sense, say, well, they think they are, but they're not. Notice with me what he says there. Go back, if you're still in chapter 1 like I was, go back to chapter 3. Notice what he says there in verses 5 and 6. He says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Wow, good and glorious for Christ. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor knows him. He says there are some who say that in that sense they're followers, but they're walking in this place. He says that they're still continuing in sin. Now, the intensity of the, of the Greek language here speaks of an ongoing, even habitual, even just consistent lifestyle that's found that way. In fact, I think about it in this way. You know, as we think about it, some would say it's unrepentantly, habitually sinning the Amplified Bible, which is a Bible that seeks to bring out some of the nuances in the Greek language, translates this verse this way. It says, no one who abides in him, who lives and remains in communion with and in obedience to him deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commits or practices sin. again, I just want you to hear it. It says no one who's really abiding in him, no one deliberately, knowingly, habitually commits and practices sin. It doesn't last that way, it doesn't work. In fact, he go on in verse nine, the amplified Bible and it says, No one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly and habitually practices sin, for God's nature abides in him. His principle of life remains permanently within him, and he cannot practice sinning because he has been born or begotten of God. He says it can't be there. It can't live that way. It can't stay that way. You can't have someone who's a Christian who has no repentance, who has no place of turning away from sin, who has no place of recognizing that, and is that sense becoming one who just is comfortable in their sin. Now, we think about that, and we think about other passages. I think about there in 1 Corinthians, where he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Like, don't don't be deceived about this. It's not going to happen that way. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, If that's the life that you're living, then you're not in. And he goes now. I says now, such were some of you, but God has rescued us. He does rescue us. There's incredible grace in Christ. But the point that He's bringing across here, that one of the realities that John is addressing in this, is that there are people who say they're saved, say they're Christians, but have no life to prove it. Have nothing taking place in their life that backs up that reality. And He's simply saying it's not that way. Now, one of the things we need to talk about is there is this, this lie that becomes a part of this, that for some who believe this, both in this category and the one we're going to talk about next, really almost say that God then becomes the author of sin. That they'll say, in one sense, well, God likes me this way. He wants me to be this way. He wants me to stay this way. You know, we just read the list there in 1 Corinthians where it told us, hey, no one who's living this unrepentant lifestyle of adultery or homosexuality or, or any of these things can say, hey, I'm really his. And yet we live in a time where there are people who are saying, hey, I am this, I am homosexual, transsexual, I am an adulterer, I am an alcoholic. And God likes me this way. I mean, this is who he made me to be. And God is saying, no, that is not what he made you to be. That's not who you are in Christ. It cannot be. And yet there are some that find themselves there that would look on this. And I'll use my silly illustration this way and say, there are those who look on this and say, well, the new man, that's all in heaven. There's nothing really taking place now here in many ways. Our old man is just kind of given a bow that says, hey, you know, we're, he recognizes that's what we are. And eventually when we get to heaven, we're going to be there. But we're not going to see any kind of victory or change or transformation down here. Again, I don't have time to unpack it in its entirety, but it's a big deal. It's a lie that has permeated our world. It was certainly a big lie that was in John's day, kind of rolling into things called Gnosticism that really had this idea where some were saying, you know what, God doesn't really care about what we do, you know, because we're going to have this new body and new heaven there, and so we can do anything we want with our, you know, down here because it no longer matters. It's, It's no longer relevant to where we are, and it's a lie. And it's a lie that is so many ways damning and and destructive in people's lives. And so he's telling us, hey, that cannot be. You know, there is a sense where he's telling us it wouldn't be that way because one of the things that proves we're really his is that righteousness begins to be a part of that. In fact, go down with me to verse 10, which will be where we start next week. He says it this way He says, In this, the children of God, and the children of the devil are manifest, or made clear, or we see that they are who they are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Pause there. We'll see more later next time, next week. But again, just hear it as clear as it can be said. It says, if that's not happening, if there's no righteousness kind of taking place, it says that that's not God. If the work isn't taking place in the midst of this, then there needs to be a sense of just recognizing that's not God, That's not the way this works. That's not the way this whole thing works, not because doing good works or changing earns our salvation, but because of what Jesus then does inside of us. Because here's again what the testimony of Scripture is. If you're a Christian, the moment you really believed you became born again, that you became a a brand new nature. You just came alive inside of you. That new person that we talked about as we ended our study last week is actually the person you are living inside of you, and it's real. And there's no way to totally stifle that if that's really taking place in your life. In fact, back up again and just see it there in verse 9. It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed. That is the life of God. The, the work of God remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. There's this life inside of you that would never allow you to live unrepentant, un-turning, you know, habitual lifestyle sin. It would never be that way. It would never be that part of it. Now, please, again, understand, Christians still struggle. In fact, Hebrews would tell us there's a sin that so easily stumbles us. And it becomes almost one of those questions, okay, so what's the difference between a sin that so easily stumbles us and habitual sin? And I'm just going to tell you, the Bible doesn't give us that line, so I'm not going to give it either. I'm just going to say it's an incredible warning. You know, that if you find yourself on the side of place where you are, are living a lifestyle of sin, that you're not turning from it, you're not repenting, you're not struggling, you're not overcoming. Instead, you're kind of just saying, hey, this is who I am, accept me accept me for what I am, accept me in my rebellion, accept me in my in my disobedience, like you should just treat me as a child of God, even though I don't feel bad about the living a life that is dark and destructive and breaking God's law. He says, that can't be, that can't be where you are. And as much as I can say it this way, this passage comes to wake you up, if that's you. And again, it probably is someone here, that you're here. And the, the thing is, you have heard about Jesus, and maybe you even prayed a prayer that someone, you know, told you to pray, and you're like, okay, that's it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saved, even though you don't have any propensity to do right, in fact, you live a life that is absolutely outside of that, you know, maybe, again, you're living an adulterous life, maybe you're living in a homosexual life, maybe you're living, again, one of those lives that, that is buying into this world, and you kind of find yourself saying, well, I'm saved, and I can still do all these things, I mean, because, God's fine with that, and I'm just telling you, this passage comes and says, that can't be. That's not the way it works. If God's living inside of you, he would never leave that alone. He would always be transforming you. I mean, one of the ways we know we're his is because of that work of transformation that's taking place in our life. Again, not that we're earning our salvation, but these things prove that he's actually at work in us. It's a way that we just look and say, that's him. I mean, this is what he's doing. This is his life inside of me. And where you find yourself struggling with that, it's not that you lose your salvation. I'll just say you you lose your confidence of salvation. A much bigger deal that we talked about earlier in John, and we'll talk about it again as we continue this study. But I just want to tell you, I know this. By God's grace, I need to try to just shake somebody up and say, you know, you are so comfortable where you are, and it's not a good, comfortable place. Jesus saves I mean, he really saves. I mean, he really does this, and he wants to breathe inside of you a new life that if you don't have this new life inside of you, then you desperately need it. You need to be this one who would be so rescued. Oh, may God just I mean, do that better than I'm doing it. May he just just wake somebody up in this place. Now, before we leave this one, I do want to pause and just say this. There is a sense that you're meant to believe this, that you're meant to understand the reality of what Christianity really looks like and and this radical, wonderful transformation that is ours, so that you believe this not just about you, but even about others. Because here's how it works probably everybody in this room has somebody in your life who is this kind of person, the kind of person who thinks they're saved. But today, they don't do anything. I mean, they don't go to church, they're not reading their Bible, uh, they're living a life that is, again, absolutely walking in sin, they're walking in adultery, they're walking in homosexuality, they're, they're alcoholic, they're whatever that is, and yet they still find themselves thinking, well, I'm fine, I prayed a prayer. And one of the great dangers is, is that we could buy into that lie as well. Now, sometimes we want to buy into that lie because we just don't want anybody, I mean, most often it's this family member, somebody that you really love, and you're like, I don't want to think that they're not saved. You know, I, I know they used to go to church, and I know they prayed, and I, I'd like to believe that, but I want to challenge you To believe this. I want to challenge you to believe this, and it might sound hard, but it is actually not. Because here's the deal. It has to be one of Satan's great lies that keeps people from hearing the gospel that need to hear the gospel. Because what happens is if you believe that person is fine, if you believe your friend or your child or your spouse is fine, even though they're living this habitual, unrepentant lifestyle of sin... And you're like, well, you know, I think they're they're gonna go to heaven because they prayed, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. I think they're probably fine. Then you're not sharing the gospel with them. You're not telling them, like, you need Jesus. Like Jesus saves. I mean, it's what he does. And and I want you to be saved. I mean, what what Satan has worked in this lie is taken the most powerful influence in the world the gospel of Jesus Christ, and cause some of us to no longer share the gospel with some of the people who most desperately need it. And so I'm just telling you, hey, if you have somebody in this category, hey, be that person that says, you know what? As far as I can tell, you know, they're not really a believer. Now, there's a lot of kind of technical stuff behind it. Maybe God's working. Maybe they're backslidden. They're going to come back. Comeback, but that's God's. I like the way he says it in Timothy. The Lord knows those who are his. The only way we know is that people depart from iniquity? Like they're seeing victory over sin. And we're like, okay, that, that looks like a follower of Jesus. That looks like them. That's the only way we know it. And so if we don't see that, then we need to be the kind of people that says, I'm going to keep praying for these people to get saved. And I'm going to share the gospel with them every time I can. I'm going to tell them about Jesus because Jesus saves. So he's telling us again that that's not there, that there is this place where people are phony Christians and, and think they're saved and they're not saved. And it is one of the most sad realities in eternity. I mean, I just, I tell it to you guys often, one of my most scary verses are there in Matthew when Jesus talks about that many are going to be there on that last day and they're going to go, Lord, Lord, like here we are, you know, let us in heaven. And he's going to be like, I don't know you. Like we never, never, you, you did never actually get saved. You knew my name, but you didn't actually know me. And and you don't know that, and I just want to tell you, as much as we can, we want to just not be there. And so we're inviting you, if this is you, hear this in a way that makes you uncomfortable, but by God's grace would bring about salvation. So our first two people, again, there are some that would maybe look on this and think we're talking about sinless perfection. Not so. There is a sense that we are exposing those who say they're saved and are not, But another aspect that's being addressed in these verses are those who are Christians, but they've been lied to. They're deceived. They're they're walking in it in a way that has caused them to be that way. Notice with me as we continue, look there in verse 7. It says, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteous is righteous just as he is righteous. So hear me clearly. Who are we talking to? Little children who are little children, only followers of Jesus who are actually saved are that. We talked about this at the beginning of last week when he told us back in verse 1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we get to be called children of God. Only Christians are, and so this verse is addressing Christians. He says, little children, don't be lied to, don't, don't be deceived in this. Don't let some deception kind of capture you in this because if it can capture you, it will try to capture you. What's the lie? Well, the lie is in one sense that we're still a slave to sin. The lie that Satan has manufactured is that is trapping some Christians into the place of believing that it's impossible to actually even overcome sin. The lie that he's manufacturing is what I talked about a moment ago, that some want to actually believe that God is even the author of their sin. It's a terrible lie. I mean, I wish, I, I mean, I know that some of you know it, but again, we live in this day where our world is morally confused, uh, that we look out in, in the struggles with transsexuality and homosexuality and all the weird things in our world. And if it was just in our world, it would be sad enough. But there are people, there are books being published, there are people in churches saying, I am living a sinful lifestyle, and God's okay with it. God's okay with it. In fact, he made me this way. He wants me to be this way. He designed me to be this way. And what we just need to understand is that cannot be true. That absolutely cannot be true. That has to be a lie that is trapping somebody in their sin because they're believing something that is fundamentally opposite of what God is telling us in his word. Think about it. We read through Romans 6 a little bit last week. I'll just highlight a couple verses out of it. He gives it to us this way. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. I mean, this just this incredible things. He Here's what you need to believe. You need to reckon. You need to reckon that if you're a follower of Jesus, that sin no longer is, is powerful. It's dead in your life. That he, You died to that because you're alive to God in Christ Jesus, and therefore you get to tell it no. Therefore, you get to no longer obey it. Therefore, you get to no longer let it reign in your mortal body. Instead, you know, you should be following Christ. In fact, he goes on to say it this way. He says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of unrighteousness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness." So it's really a pretty good illustration. I mean, it really is pretty powerful, but let's just try to think it through. Now, we have a little bit of a problem because even the idea of slavery is a little bit removed, and so I don't even want to go there. Let's just kind of translate this into maybe more of, of a way to say it. It would be saying it this way. So you used to have a job. Like, you had a job, let's just imagine it this way, and, and it was a terrible job, and you had a horrible boss. They were cruel to you. They didn't like you. They didn't treat you well. They always gave you the worst jobs. I mean, it was just one that that ruled your life for a season of your life, and it was horrible. Again, just it's a silly illustration, but track with it for a moment. But then someone came along and gave you a new job, transformed your life and gave you a new job so that no longer you do you do you work for that old master anymore now you have a new boss who rules over you who brings you into a new life he says there's part of the thing is that you need to convince it the folly is is that maybe you would be walking back through the place that you used to work maybe it was a a grocery store or maybe it was a you know walmart or or, or a restaurant kind of thing and there you go and your old boss spots you and he begins to order you around hey you I want you to go clean the bathrooms. Hands and knees, I want a sponge. I mean, you, 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 you have work to do. I don't know what you're doing there. And he begins to order you around. He says, here's the folly. He says, for some of us, we listen. Like, oh, okay, okay. You know, and then grab the sponge and pretty soon you're in the bath. Like, and he's like, why are you doing that? This is no longer your boss any longer. Like, you, you, that is no longer the one that bosses you around any longer. You have a new boss you have a new life, you have a new job, it's crazy that you would allow yourself to be just occupied and controlled by one who is no longer in authority over your life. That's what he's saying. He says that you used to be the slave of unrighteousness, but now you're a slave of righteousness. Like, live this new life that you are. Or let's go back to the verse that we just read a moment ago. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Like, that's no longer my life. I don't, I don't, I'm not a slave of sin any longer. I'm not a slave to the devil any longer. I'm not a slave to those things anymore, but I'm alive in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it. Like, stop obeying it. Stop listening to the one, because you actually can now, because it's no longer the one who controls you. It, it, what, what a crazy thing it is when we allow that to happen, but see, there's the power of this lie. There's the power of this lie that for some, they just didn't believe it. They did. They, they don't understand that Christ has freed us. He has freed us from that domination of domineering nature of our sinful lives any longer. Go back to the silly little graphic that I have. And so for some, it's as if they look on this and they're two separate things. It's like, well, you know, I have this old man and there's just nothing I can do about it, just who I am. I mean, maybe I have this new man, but You know, never the two, you know, can't really move away from who I was. That again, it really the lie that was, again, even as John writes this, that was another part of Gnosticism, was a part of this place where people just said, that's just just who I am. That's just who I am. And, And believing that lie traps so many people. That believing that lie traps people in this space where they live in that. Now, again, I I may be hoping that this is making sense, because here's the thing. I know this. I know that I'm talking to somebody here right now, and this is you. This is you. You've never really understood. Instead, Satan has lied to you and somehow made you think that there's no hope for you. That there's no hope for the struggles that you have. There's no hope for the sin that you have. And so he's able to come alongside you as this old boss and kind of like, hey, you, do this. And you're like, okay, (laughs) like, that's what I am. I mean, this is me. That's what I do. Instead of saying, no, that's no longer me. I'm actually a new person in Christ right now, that this is where I I need to recognize. So again, in one sense, I'm just speaking to some that if this is where you are, that you are, if I can say it this way, uncomfortably comfortable in your sin. There is no Christian who is absolutely comfortable in their sin. It's impossible uh, because the righteousness of God is inside of you. But some of you have settled into a life that is just deceived, that is just, you, you don't believe it, You don't believe that Jesus is as powerful as he is. You don't believe in the new nature that is really yours in Christ. And so you live this life that is absolutely missing out on what God has for you. And I'm just telling you, he's calling us away from this saying, hey, don't let this be you. Instead, he's gonna invite us to something else that is really where we want to land, really where we want to think through. But please hear me again. Hey, there is a need of rescue. And as much as I, I can say it, my intention this morning is if you're in one of these spaces that either you think you're perfect or you're not really saved or you're saved, but you've been lied to, I am doing my best to make you uncomfortable, to tell you you are in a space that you cannot stay there. Whatever you do, don't park here don't stay here. That is not who you are. You cannot, you should not, by God's grace, please don't let that be who you are. I mean, just hear it in a way that makes you uncomfortable enough to move you from where you are and bring you into the life that God has for you. And where that would be, well, I'll say it this way, is this person who is a Christian who is struggling, but hopefully moving in a victorious way. A Christian who is struggling and doing so in hopefully a victorious way. So we're watching all this. And again, he just tells us this uh, there in verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. See, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're really born again, then here's the deal. Sin is not your habitual, rebellious, continual lifestyle. It's not the kind of place where you are comfortable in that. It can't be there. It could not be a place that if you're really a Christian that you're comfortable being, well, no, I'm really good with living in absolute disobedience to what God says. I know God says, you know, don't do that, but I don't really care. It cannot be your habitual lifestyle. It cannot be that. In fact, one of my favorite quotes that kind of addresses this. is from John Newton. I've shared the longer quote with you guys before, but I'll just give it to you in the, the brief version. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, said it this way. He says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, but still, I am not what I used to be, and by the grace of God, I am what I am. Here's what I want to tell you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can say this you would say, I'm, I'm still not there. <laughs> I am still. I haven't arrived. There's still things that God are working out in me. I'm not what I ought to be. I don't, I don't want to stay this way. I, I hope, I have confidence that in heaven I'll be this way. But if you're a follower of Jesus, then you would also be able to say, but I'm not what I was. I'm not what I was. There's been this transforming thing taking place in my life. He's been conforming me into the image of Christ and I've been watching him deliver me from, from sin and from rebellion and, and lifestyle choices. I mean, he's, he's been just pulling all those off of me. I'm, I'm no longer that person that I was, even though I'm still struggling, even though I'm not there. If you're really a follower of Jesus, you would be able to look and say, oh, that's true, <laughs> Like, he is, he is working some good things in my life. He's doing good things in this. And in that sense, it becomes encouraging. Yes, you still struggle. You still struggle with, in, in battle with sin. In fact, that is a part of our lives. Let's go back to that verse that we've been talking about in Galatians. Since I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. If you can track with me this way, this reality that is this old man and new man is uniquely so inside the child of God. Now, it's hard to kind of communicate this as clearly as I want because even people who live in the world sometimes have multiple versions of themselves where they kind of like, I try to be good, I try to be bad, and they might think they have this. It's nothing like this because the battle that is yours as a Christian is that there really is a part of you that is brand new in Christ that never sins. There's a new nature inside of you that hates sin and would never sin. There's a new part of you that is, is obedient to Christ, and that's the real you that God is calling you to embrace that's really there, but you still have a flesh, and they're at war, there's this internal war that you face on a daily basis. There's this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde reality that in many ways is uniquely so for the life of a believer, that we struggle with this and, and, and come to terms with this. But if I can put it to you in a different way, the reality of that struggle is a little bit of the encouragement that if you can go, that's me, like I do. I, I really want to do what God wants. I mean, I can feel it. I, I know that there's life inside of me that loves God, and I want to please him, and I want him to, I don't want to sin. You know, where, where Paul would say it in Romans 7, he says, there's a part of me that, you know, that would never do that, that is longing to do everything that God says. But then there's this other thing inside of me that, that I'm struggling with. If you have that, that's a, there's a place where this comes and says, yes, that's who you are. But the goal of this is to continue walking in this. If we can kind of even just do it this way, I'll just say kind of to shrink the, the, the amount of time that you spend in the flesh. Like, okay, I want to spend more. I'm going to do as much as I can to walk in the Spirit because I don't want to be that. I don't want to walk in the man that I was or the woman that I was. I long to walk in this, but I still have the struggle, and that becomes a part of it. Nevertheless, just the reality that God is working in this becomes a thing that speaks life to us. I, I like the way one... Uh, Pastor said he his spiritual DNA doesn't lie. See, go back and see it, what it says there in verse 9. It says, Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Like that new part of who you are, it never sins for his seed. The life of God, the, the 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 work of his seed inside of us, it remains in him and he cannot sin. Because it's been born of God. That sense of God inside of us, that sense of, of his dynamic work inside of us, this new nature. This being born again, this place of having this in Christ, it's it's glorious. And it becomes part of what gives us encouragement. In a, in a section that if you go at these verses wrongly, it would just leave you discouraged. That You'd read through this and go, well, that's just... I'm probably a loser. That's probably the, I'm just telling you, if you hear it that way and it's not true, if it's meant to come and say, no, there's a part of you that's life and you're supposed to believe that, but be rescued from the things that bring you death. And so in this, he just speaks to you. If you're here, and I recognize for many of you, this is where you are. And and I'm hoping that as you hear these things this morning, you're walking through this stuff and you're seeing that which is here, then you just need to hear it as clear as you can. This is what saves us. Jesus is the one that saves us from our sin. Go back and read it there again in verse 5. It says, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. By the way, just side note, worth spending a lot more time on it, but it's just one of those incredible statements that remind us again of Jesus' perfection. He never sinned, ever sinned. There's not anything in him that is sin. never in any way that does this, he becomes that perfect sacrifice who was manifested, who appeared, who came on the scene and became man and lived that perfect life. Why? Well, you saw it, but see it again. Verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sin. That's why he came. He takes away our sins. I think about it when, that, uh, when the announcement was made to, to Joseph and Mary just told him, you know, that he, Name him Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. It's just good news. I mean, in one sense, the most simple thing. Jesus saves us from our sins. He rescues us from sin. Now, let's think about it this way. As we try to pack this through, and this is an overly simplistic understanding of it, but it's helpful for me and maybe for some of you. When Jesus saves us, we need to understand that he saves us from the penalty of sin, he saves us from the power of sin, and eventually he's going to save us from the presence of sin. To use the theological terms that lock into those realities, there's the reality of justification, that he has justified us. And so the Bible would tell us that in him we're made right so that there's no more condemnation, that there's nothing there ever again where we would be held just accountable for it. He has taken the penalty of our sin out of the way but he also saves us from the power of sin. That's that work of sanctification that is ongoing. But we're looking forward to the day of glorification, that day when we're with Jesus that we talked about last week, when we are, when we see him and we're made like him and we enter into this life that is gloriously perfect without any more sin, all of it will be there. Here's the deal, understanding it, it's a package deal, that if you get one of these, you get all of them. This isn't like, well, you go and pick one. Well, like I, I'll take you know, two. <laughs> Can I take two out of three? No, it's, it's, it's a whole deal. So that you'd find passages like Romans 8 that says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That you get one, you get the others. That we are those who are in the process of all of this. And so there's this incredible reality of understanding that this is who we are. So, Jesus saves us from our sin. All of it. And here's what I just need to say. If you believe this, if you believe that he saves us from the penalty of sin, And if you believe that he will save us from the presence of sin, then you need to believe, this is meant to speak encouragement into our lives, that he can and does save us from the power of sin. So let me just reason that a little bit more because I know I'm speaking to somebody this morning. I know I'm talking to somebody that this is exactly what you need to hear. See, I'm talking to somebody and you believe it. You believe that Jesus died for your sins. That we talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And so if I asked you about it, you would say, I believe it. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. He has paid the price for my sin. I believe that that the cross is effective in my life so that the penalty of my sin, that I would be damned and go to hell, that has been paid for by Jesus, and you believe it. You also believe that when he comes back, you're going to go into heaven, and it's going to be perfect. And there's not going to be any more sin. You will never sin again. You will never struggle. You'll, you'll never do it because Jesus is going to glorify you. He is going to bring you into that full measure of what his salvation is, and you're going to absolutely enjoy it. And I'm talking to somebody right now, and you believe both of those. You believe both of those unequivocally. You believe both of those solidly. But when it comes to today, struggling with sin, you don't really believe it. You don't really believe that Jesus is the power that could rescue us from sin. That the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is alive inside of us, Paul would say. That the same thing that would give us life so that it would be power to live this life out is available to us. And again, see, here's the idea that Satan has worked a lie into some of you. There's like, oh, I don't know if I really believe that. I don't know if I really believe that it could be that way. But that's what he's telling you. He's saying, you know, as you're thinking about this, Jesus saves us from our sin, both the penalty and eventually from the whole thing. But he's the rescue today. He's the rescue from the power of sin. He's the one that would bring this into our lives. And so to you and I, he's telling us, hey, this is what he does. Like he is, he would rescue you even now from where you are. Add to that. Not does he just rescue us from our sin. He delivers us from the devil. Go on down and just quickly see it in verse 8. It says, He who sins is of the devil. And if you're going to do that, you're listening to him, that's what the devil's doing. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. So it's the second time it tells us that Jesus was manifested, or He was, he appeared, or He came to live on this world, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Wow. So, in a very simple way, we think about this whole struggle that we're talking about, this this flesh and the spirit, this old man, this new man, but we can add to it because the things that really seek to bring us into that place is not just our flesh, but we fight a a battle on three fronts, with our flesh, with the devil, and the world. And what I simply want to communicate to you is Jesus is enough. If you're a follower of Jesus, he is the one that's given you brand new life. you have born again. You have a brand new nature that is resident inside of you and will never go away. And he has caused that to be a part of your life. He's the one that has been the source of that. On top of that, he defeated the works of the devil. That in so coming, he destroyed just all that the devil's lives would be, and he destroys the world. What we talked about back in chapter 2, which we'll talk about again in chapter 4 in 1 John, that that everything in the world is defeated by him. In the simplest way, he's just inviting you and I to see that, that he is the one who is able to not only help us overcome sin, but everything that would influence us into that. And there's a whole lot there, but I'm just telling you, he's inviting you to believe it. So if you believe this, what would you do with it? Well, he told us. Go back and see it. Verse 6, whoever, note, abides in him does not sin. Send. Whoever sends has neither seen him or known him. Therefore, what he's telling you and I to do is abide. Abide in him. And I'm hoping for like one person at least, there's like a little light bulb going on, like didn't we just talk about that? Yeah, we just spent three weeks just before our last study where we talked about this whole abiding relationship at the end of chapter two where he's telling us, hey, this is what you need. You need Jesus because you can't do this life without Jesus. I mean, you, you need him. You need to abide in him because Jesus told us. He says, you know, I'm the vine and, and you're the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear good fruit. For without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing that the reality that he's inviting us to is this place where we would do it. And so we'd look at all of this struggle that is ours. And in the most simple way, you just need to abide in Jesus because he's the one that would do this. That new nature that's inside of you doesn't work on its own. It's made in for to be connected with Jesus. You're a branch that's connected to the vine. The only way for you to really enjoy the life that he has for you is to walk with him to abide in him, and he'll help you overcome the devil, he'll help you overcome the lies of the world, he'll help you to do this, but everything's found in this abiding relationship with Jesus, you know, that we think about what it is, so let me just give you that amplified version again of verse 6, now the one who abides in him, and hear this not as a statement of kind of a fact differentiating a Christian from a non-Christian, but hear this as, if you'll do this, to the one who would abide in him, if you will live and you'll remain in him and communion with him and you'll obey him, if you'll do that, then you would not deliberately, knowingly, and habitually commit or practice sin. Because if you'll abide in him, that is, if you'll hold fast to him and listen to him and say, Jesus, yes to him, then that becomes the power that helps you overcome Or let's go back to a synonymous way of saying it that we've talked about so many times this morning. We've read it at least three other times. There in Galatians 5 where it simply says, walk in the Spirit. And you won't do it. You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You want to overcome that flesh? You want to not live in sin? Walk with Him. Walk in Him. Walk in who He is. Lean on Him. Cry out for Him. Do life with Him. And He'll be the source because He rescues us from this. Guys, that's what he's inviting you. That's what he's inviting me to live in. Wow. Okay, so I've used this little graphic, and it may or may not make sense, but I just want you to note up here at the top left we have this person standing. I want to exchange that person standing to a person walking because in many ways it's kind of communicating what I'm saying to you this morning. We're going to come back and talk about the struggling Christian in a moment, but I want you just to again see it this way, that you know, don't even think about parking here. For the one who's comfortable in their sin, whether they're comfortable because they're not really saved or they're comfortable just because they've believed a lie, don't stay there. Don't stay there. That is not where God meant you to stay. He's calling you to move on. To say, okay, I don't want to stay there. I don't want to live in that. I don't want to stay in that. I want to move forward. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to grow in that. I want to be the person that he's really made me to be. And I'm inviting you to that, but I'm saying it again as clear as I can. I could wish that everybody in this room was in that bottom category, but I know it's not so. I know there might be some here that you're not really saved yet. And somehow you believed a lie. You thought because you prayed a prayer, you went to church, it was enough But there is no nature inside of you that is really good and and that's there and you're comfortable in your sin and you think it's enough and I'm telling you it's not enough. If you don't know Jesus, we're inviting you to a real transforming, life-giving relationship with him that really works. And if that's you this morning, we invite you to Jesus. I'm also talking to someone this morning who you are saved but even now you're kind of half listening and you still don't get it somehow Satan has still just mired you down with a lie, a lie that has made you believe that you have to keep sinning, that God doesn't rescue, that the power doesn't work, and, and the lie itself becomes just determinative of choices you're making, and I'm telling you, be rescued. Be rescued from that. Don't live that lifestyle. Don't be that person that th- doesn't think this is possible. Instead, I'm inviting you to be this one who is struggling, you're not living in an unrepentant lifestyle. You you struggle, you repent, you fall, you get up, and you you see it, but you're constantly seeking to overcome that. But that spiritual DNA is inside of you, that life that's seeking to work inside of you. And I just get to speak to you. God is doing a good work. Heaven's gonna prove it out. But what we ended at last week, if you really believe this, then it will be also working today inside of you. And the way that works is that Jesus rescues us, He saves us from our sin. The penalty, eventually the presence, but today the power as well. And I'm just inviting you to believe that. I'm inviting you to believe that Jesus is that. And if you get all of this, it would compel you to say, that's the life that I want to live. So, as we think about applying that, we're going to end this morning by taking communion. And so, you can close your Bibles and notebooks, whatever it is you have open. We seek to offer you opportunities to take communion You know, several times a month. Usually on the second uh, Sunday of the month, we take communion. And we usually do it earlier in the service. And some of you are like, man, I thought we'd do communion today. Well, it just seemed like the right way to end. That we've talked about a bunch of stuff here this morning. And yet one of the things we just want to celebrate is, is, is Jesus, the one who has manifested for us to rescue us from sin and from Satan. That he's the one that came and gave his life for us. And so I want to invite you this morning to embrace that, to embrace the work of Christ, to embrace and be reminded for who He is, being reminded that that's in the, that space of where we are. Now, before we talk about that for us, I do need to say this. Again, maybe you're here this morning and you're not really His. Maybe you've, you've come, that's become clear this morning that you're not His. Maybe you're visiting and you're just kind of trying to understand these things. And I recognize, boy, this is a bunch of stuff, but even at this moment, it might be confusing. Hear me clearly. Communion is for Christians. And if you're a Christian this morning, you're invited to take communion with us. But if you're not a Christian, this isn't yours. It's not for you. Uh, It's not remembering who you are or what God has done in the midst of that. And so here's your invitation. Don't take it. We'll pass out communion in a moment. And if you're not his, just don't take it. Nobody's going to make fun of you. There's not going to be a spotlight that drops down and highlights who you are. It would be a great statement if you could honestly say, okay, I'm not really saved. This isn't really for me, and that statement all by itself could be good, that God would draw you. But I also say this, communion is a statement of the gospel. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, every time we take communion, we're saying, this is who we are. Jesus came to save us, that, that he appeared to take away our sin, that he is this. And so we long that communion would be a message of the gospel this morning. And if you're here this morning, and that's what you're needing, and you're recognizing that, and you're wanting, like, I want that. I need to really be saved. It would be a great time to take communion and ask him to be your salvation. We'd long for you to do that. Well, I leave that with you if you're in that space, but for many of you, you are his. And yet there is that question. Some of you are deceived, and some of you aren't deceived, but you're in that place of struggling, and I'm longing for you to hear this and take communion in a way that rescues Maybe for some that would rescue you from the lie that you didn't even know. You didn't realize how much it had gripped your life, that you didn't realize that he rescued you from sin. It's no longer your boss. It's no longer the one that has you under its slavery. And he's kind of inviting you to see that and recognize him as your savior. I long for that to be there. If you're already figured that out, then you know we still need it. We still need to recognize who he is. He is the one that is the one who's cleansing us and holding us now. And so we want that to be a part of where this is. So here's what it's gonna do. I'm gonna pray, ask God to bring us into this. Worship team is gonna lead us in a song, why they do it. Rushers and greeters are gonna pass out the communion elements. Just grab it, there's two cups. Grab both cups, the bread is in the bottom, the juice is in the top. Hold it, and at the end of this song, we'll take communion together. So would you go with me in prayer? Let's ask God to draw us into this. Father, we come right now, and we wanna celebrate Jesus being made manifest. Jesus, you came. You really came to rescue us from sin, to deliver us from the devil, to deliver us from the world, and how effective that is. Jesus, right now, I celebrate that work and pray for it here. For any that don't know you, that even right now, the gospel would just penetrate, that you're the, the rescue. You're the deliverance. You're the one that rescues them from the penalty of sin, power of sin and eventually the presence of it cause these today to come to christ and we pray for the gospel to be at work in that god then i bring those of us who are your your kids to you and you know that different spaces for any that are just under the line they're deceived they don't believe this they don't believe in the power that is theirs in christ to live a life rescue them Today, may they see that Jesus is not about us, it's about you. You save us from sin. Yes, from the penalty. Yes, eventually from the presence. But you save us today from the power. You deliver us from it being our boss any longer. From being that that has dominion over our lives. Help us to believe that. To reckon it true and no longer, listen, You've got to pray for power and that and rescue even today. I pray that you'd breathe life into us as as followers of you and that we would delight in you who is the solution to our greatest problem. Thank you that you are Jesus. And as we enter into this, would you just cleanse us? Would you help us to be close to this? Would you wash us in a fresh way? Wash our feet as it were so that we could enter into this space and truly celebrate you. Help us in that right now as we just worship and prepare ourselves to take communion. Meet us here.